Let's open our Bibles, John chapter 7. We're going to start in chapter 7 today. We've just been moving right along. <clears throat> Excuse me. John chapter 7. I want to take a minute, though, before we get started to pray. Franklin Graham uh, asked if, if uh, churches and people would pray for our president, for our government, for our country, really. We, we need prayer. We're, in, we're not in a good place. And uh, so I thought we'd take a minute just to, just to do that. First uh, Timothy chapter 2 says this. He says, Paul says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God, our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So Paul tells us that's one of the things we should do, that, that we could have a peaceful and and, and godly country, and we've gotten so far away from that. It's, uh, it's really pretty scary where, where we're at as a, as a nation. But uh, let's just take a moment and, and pray. Our great Father in heaven, we, we come before you today. We ask you, Lord, to have mercy on us, Lord, as a country, as a people, as a nation, Lord. We have, we have strayed from you. We have gone our own way. And we pray that you would have mercy, you would pour out your grace and draw us back to that place where our lives are following after you and what you would have, what you would want, Lord. We do pray for our president. We pray you would have your hand upon him and draw him to a personal living relationship with you, Lord. I know that he's not anti uh, the Christian faith, Lord, but... Uh, we pray that he would have a, a relationship of his own with you. And that would guide his heart and life, Lord. We pray for him and his family. You protect them, Lord. Watch over them. We pray you'd give them wisdom, Lord. Pray for our, the rest of our leaders, Lord, the, the, our Senate and our House of Representatives. God, you would, you would have your way, Lord. It's, we've gotten, again, so far away. From your ways, Lord, we pray we would get back, Lord, to you. Have your hand upon our country, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, John chapter 7, we looked at the last part of chapter 6. We talked about what Peter said. So many people had left, and Jesus turns to his disciples, the the 12, the group that were there, and he said to them, you know, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked them, and, and Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So many left, and what did they go to? What, what were the options? To go back to the old life, to go back to a drug, to a bottle, to a relation, relationship, or to stay? And follow Jesus Christ. That's the same call. That's the same question that he's asking for you, to you and to me as well today. Where can we go? Where can we go to find love? True love. Where can we go to find hope? Where can we go to find peace? 
Where can we go to find eternal life and the help that we need each and every single day? It's Jesus. He alone has the words of eternal life. And, but even as we saw in that, in that section of those who stayed, one wasn't really in. His name was Judas. He was there. He stayed, but he wasn't really in. He wasn't really committed. He wasn't really, you know, sold out to following Jesus, knowing that there was no other way. There was no other hope. So you and I make the same choice. You know, we make it once for all time when we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ. But we make it every day as well when we, when we get up in the morning and we live for Him. We make a decision. Jesus, I'm going to follow you today. Because we know that the search is over. I don't know about you, but I searched a long time to try to find some kind of hope and help in this life. And I found Jesus was the only one that could meet that need. Jesus was the only one that was there for me. Nobody loves me like Jesus. So we're jumping now into chapter 7. It's an interesting chapter. There's a lot of different things in there. But this first section, you know, our society is really quite a bit hype-based. Have you noticed that? There's a lot of hype. There's a lot of publicity, a lot of public relations in that. Uh, I, I saw this in, uh, you know, the good news, bad news, that, you know, the good news is this, your church is getting a lot of free publicit, publicity recently. That's the good news. The bad news, it's on the crime reports page. It takes a minute for you to get that, I know. Is it, is it that bad? <laughs> you know, publicity is one thing, but this is the definition of publicity. And you say, why are you talking about this? You'll see in a minute. It's notice or attention given to someone or something by the media, the giving out of information about a product, person, or company for advertising or promotional purposes for, for publicity. <clears throat> I want to say to you today, and Jesus, and the heart of really what, what I see in this passage today is that God's ways are not our ways. And what we see in society and what has also kind of crept into the church is the ways of the world when it comes to hype and promotion and publicity. And these are the verses, I think, kind of underlying what I'm having what I'm, what I'm uh, thinking about this passage today. For my thoughts, the Lord says this, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's a, a huge difference between the way the world wants to do things and the way God is doing things. And that applies to really every area of our lives. We get so sucked into what, you know, the media is telling us and what, you know, now it's, it's you know, it's stretched into all kinds of other areas, Facebook advertising, you know, YouTube advertising, the advertising and the, the, the whole, you know, machine is like so pervasive. It's everywhere you go now. You can't do anything with it without it trying to get in, 
you know, into your head and into your life. Someone wrote this, though. Christians have fallen into the habit. Christians now have fallen into the habit of accepting the noisiest and the most notorious among them as the best and the greatest. They, too, have learned to equate popularity with excellence. And in open defiance of the Sermon on the Mount, they've given their approval, not to the meek, but to the self-assertive. Not to the mourner, but to the self-assured. Not to the pure in heart who see God, but to the publicity hunter who seeks headlines. Boy, the Sermon on the Mount versus the way the world is, the self-assertive, the self-assured, the publicity hunter. What Has that gotten into the church today? I think it has. I think it has. By the way, that quote was A.W. Tozer, who wrote some pretty intense, hard-hitting statements. Let's look at John chapter 7. You'll see why I'm even talking about this at all. It says, after this, Jesus went around in Galilee, purposely staying away from Judea, because the Jews there were waiting to take his life. So Jesus, again, after this, after what has happened in John chapter 6, you know, the feeding of the huge crowd, the walking on the water, and, and, and now at the end of chapter 6, this huge crowd of people who were confronted with the truth and they decided we're not going to follow him anymore. So after this, and they figured it, it, it's really about six months that this takes place, Jesus it says he's going to stay in Galilee. Now, if you look at the map of the nation, this is a map of of what it was like in the time of Jesus. You can see Galilee. This is the Sea of Galilee right here. It's hard to tell, but that's the Sea of Galilee. This is the Dead Sea down here. But Jesus spent a whole lot of time up in the Galilee region, but Jerusalem is down here, and, and they say it's about 75 to 80 miles or so. It would take about six days to walk there because they didn't walk very fast and, you know, they had a lot of breaks or whatever. But, but you know, they'd make a journey of it. And, and this particular passage, now John chapter 7 uh, begins really the last six months of Jesus' ministry. So this is kind of where we're heading into the last six months of Jesus' ministry. But it says that he's staying away. He's staying away from Judea. This is important to, to, to think about in the context of what we're going to see in these verses. He's not going to, he doesn't want to go down to Judea. Why? Because of the opposition that was there. They weren't all excited to have Jesus in their midst. This group of people, the Jews, especially the Jewish leaders, they wanted to take his life. They wanted to kill him. But we'll see that he does go, but he goes on his own terms, and he goes in his own time. But over and over in chapters 7 and 8, ten times it talks about his life being threatened. Ten times. This is a very real factor in the life of Jesus, the history of Jesus, this man that you and I talk about serving. Now, Galilee, compared to Jerusalem... Jerusalem was like the happening place, right? The temple was there. 
you know, all the people would go there, you know, uh, three times of the year, you know, uh, Jewish men would be required to go there to three different festivals. But Galilee, on the other hand, was a very peaceful, quiet place. It was, it was kind of obscure, really, in terms of making a splash, in terms of getting people's attention. Galilee, why would you want to go there? Let's look at verses 2 and 3. It says there, But when the Jewish feast of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brothers said to him, You ought to leave here and go to Judea, where Jerusalem was, so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. Wow. We see this idea of fame and fortune and making your way, making a splash, making a name for yourself. And then his family is somehow involved in this. But, but notice this, the Feast of Tabernacles was near. The Feast of Tabernacles was one of those three festivals, feasts, that all the men would go to Jerusalem to celebrate. You can read about it in Exodus 23. Josephus, who was a, a Jewish historian, he called it the Feast of Tabernacles. He called it the holiest and the greatest of the festivals. So if you're going to go to one at all, if you're going to make something happen, this was the one to go to. This was the one that had the most excitement, this, the most things going on. The Feast of Tabernacles. Anybody know what they celebrated at the Feast of Tabernacles? Two things, really. One, it was the end of the harvest time. The end, they, they brought all the harvest in. They were thankful to God for the harvest. But two, they were also celebrating this wandering time, this 40-year period in the, in the desert, in the wilderness, where God was faithful. God fed them. God gave them water. And, 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 I, and I was thinking about that, too. You know, I've been a believer over 40 years now, and I, and I look back, too, and I think, you know, God has taken care of me for, for over 40 years. God has, has provided for me, for my family, for this church, for, for everything that is going on. God has always been faithful, and, and I think it is something to celebrate. Talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. Maybe we need to celebrate that kind of a thing in our own lives. They had, it was more structured in the, in the nation, the life of Israel. But, but in our own lives, do we ever take time to say, thank you, Lord. Maybe you know the day that you gave your life to Jesus Christ, and you can use that as a, as a, a, a celebration day. It's a birthday. I know what day it was. Sometimes we don't know. Sometimes it, it kind of came on us, you know, gradually, and we don't know the exact day. That's okay. Don't feel bad. Just make up a day. No. <laughs> but to know that you can still be thankful and celebrate that God has done incredible things in your life. That's wonderful. So that's what the Feast of Tabernacles was celebrating, and and. And there would be a lot of people in Jerusalem, a lot of excitement. And, and so this is a good time. The brothers, Jesus' brothers, now these were his real brothers, right? 
there, there's a false kind of teaching, <coughs> excuse me, that, that Jesus, you know, was an only child. It's not true. The Bible makes it very clear. It's just not true. How do we, how do we come up with some of these things? I don't know, people make them up because they fit, you know, what they're trying to get across. It's just not true. Jesus had brothers and he had sisters. I want you to turn with me and, and keep your, your marker in John chapter 7, because we're going to go back to the Gospel of Mark. Go back two books, Mark chapter 6. And I want you to keep uh, a marker in Mark, Mark as well, because we're going to go back a couple of times to that, to that book. But we, we want to look at a couple of verses there. Mark chapter 6 and verse 3 when they were talking about Jesus, <clears throat> the middle of verse 2 said, Where did this man get these things? They asked, What's this wisdom, wisdom that has been given him that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? And the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So he had brothers and he had sisters as well. And, of course, we know, as we have been studying, that, that Jesus, you know, Mary was a virgin. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, yes. So these brothers and sisters were technically only what? Half-brothers and sisters, right? They had the same mother. They did not have the same father. But he had, nonetheless, he had brothers and sisters. So this is the family. And, and I don't know about you, but when you have to stop and think about your family, like what comes to your mind? I mean, I, I should have brought some pictures of my family, man. Whoa. You know, my, my son was asking me, you know, he was looking, he's all into looking up, you know, uh, historical things and, and looking up people in the, you know, their uh, uh, high school, you know, yearbooks. And he's saying, well, can I look up your brother? And I said, no, he, he dropped out. Uh, how about your sister? No, she dropped out. And they're really, I, I don't think any of my brothers and sisters actually graduated from high school except me. Uh, maybe one or two did go to, to get their GEDs later. But, but, but when you think about your family, like what kind of picture is it? And what have they said to you? What kinds of statements have they made to you about your faith? They were, you know, well, I'm happy for you. I'm so happy for you. Or, you know, you're an idiot. You're like a Jesus freak and like you've gone over the deep end. These brothers said to Jesus, you ought to leave and go to Judea. You ought to go down to Jerusalem because that's where it's really happening. I just think about this. You know, his brothers are now giving Jesus counsel. They're giving Jesus advice. We want to be your advisors. We'd like to be your advisors. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm guilty of doing the very same thing with Jesus. Now, Jesus, you know, it would be really good if you did it this way in my life because there's something going on. Now, you know, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to do it my way. Have you ever done that? Jesus, I really need you to help me out here now. This is how I want you to help me out. 
Well, the brothers are telling Jesus, this is what you really should do. That's kind of the wrong way around, isn't it? Again, God's ways are not our ways. Our ways is for us to be directing. In this particular case, in this particular case, they really didn't think Jesus was able to guide himself. He didn't, you know, Jesus kind of didn't have, you know, a clue. Look back in Mark chapter 3, what does it say? Mark chapter 3 verse 21. In verse 20, it says, Jesus entered a house, and again, a crowd gathered so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat it. Like it was, it was happening there in that house. But when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. They went to take charge of him. They thought, Jesus, you've really lost it now. Why? I, I can't understand why they would do that there. It must have been an overall picture of what was going on. All these people now coming to Jesus. But they're still thinking about the Jesus they grew up with. You know, they, they, they knew him from, you know, from childhood. So back in, in John chapter 6, again, keep a marker there in Mark as well. But John chapter 7 you know, they, they said, you ought to leave. You ought to go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Jesus, we can help you. I just wonder, what kind of motives did they have? What was really going on here? What, what was really going on in their minds when they're giving Jesus this advice? Because in verse 5, it tells us that they didn't even believe in him. So you have these guys who are unbelievers giving Jesus advice and counsel. We have got a promotion campaign for you. We know how to really make a big name for yourself, Jesus. We, we, we've got it all mapped out. We don't really believe in you, but you know, we can help you to like, get ahead. Do you see the, how odd this is? How strange this is? And so, you know, what's Jesus supposed to do? Oh, okay. Okay, brothers, let's go for it. Let's, let's do it. You know, when I, you know, I've, I've been around the block a few times, and like I heard someone say the other day, this isn't my first rodeo. You know, this whole thing of the church, and I think today it's, 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 it's at a fever pitch, really, where where we've got to have a, a huge promotion campaign for Jesus. Because Jesus can't really do it without our help. Did you know that? Jesus really needs you and me to get through to the world. Now, he does use us, but does he need us? Does he need our marketing campaigns? Does he need the stuff that we can, you know, do? Some of the campaigns that I've seen for, 
the quote-unquote church growth movement, they look like they have been developed by unbelievers. And I think some of them have been, to be honest with you. You know, the brothers say to Jesus, you know, you need to go to the big city. To really make an impact, you need to go there. You're wasting your time here in Galilee. You're wasting your time here in the, in the little small towns. Well, he could, you know, someone could say that to us too. Why are we here? This isn't, you know, Providence. This isn't the big city of Chicago, New York City. If you really want to do something, you got to go there. But is that really the way he operates? You know, they, they tell him, you know, Jesus, think about it for a minute. You know, we, we've been watching what's going on here. We, we really don't believe in you. We think you've kind of lost it. But, but pay attention here. You just had a whole group of people leave. So it's not really happening for you here in Galilee. So let's go to Jerusalem and, and maybe we can really stir something up and make something happen there. Now, were they unaware that you know, people there were wanting to kill him, to take his life. Were they unaware of that? The Living Bible says, translates these words, you can't be famous when you hide like this. If, you, if you're so great, show it to the world. You can't be famous when you hide like this. You, it, that's the idea, to make, Jesus was just trying to make himself famous? Just to, just to have people following after him, just to, you know, get, you know, a big income. And some of the people that we, we, we see around us, they, they, they do some of these tactics and things so they can get followers, so that they can get paid for income. Say, no, no, yes, yes. Have a look around. So what's their angle? These brothers of Jesus, I think they, they were just, this is just the way of the world. This is man's way. It really hasn't changed much from that day to this. We just have more tools now. We have more electronical, you know, gadgets to make it happen more now. But it really, you know, the, the, the underlying thing hasn't changed much at all. Self-promotion. Someone thinks, someone thinks that maybe they were just being sarcastic when they're saying all these things, and that's possible. They didn't really want to see it. Or maybe, or maybe if, if you know, they saw some of the big crowds that did happen you know, in, in, in the life of Jesus up to this point, maybe you know, it's like we could get a little bit of that attention too because we're related to Jesus, Right? That's kind of the way it works, isn't it? What was their angle? What I want to say to you today, though, is that, again, God's ways are not our ways. And Jesus had no angle except for love and the cross. That was his whole, his whole angle was love and the cross. And that has not changed from that day to this as well. He's not trying to, to, have, to win a popularity contest. 
He came because he loved us. He came because he wanted to save us. He came because he wanted to rescue us. And, and all we have to do is receive that love. You know, I, this, this church is very simple, and, I, and I'm comfortable. I'm happy that it's simple. We don't, we don't try to, like, make some kind of thing happen. You can, you can try to make things happen and, and beat things into, you know, excitement and do that kind of thing. But you know what? If Jesus isn't doing it, I don't want it. You know, Moses had this discussion with the Lord, and, and, you know, Moses said to him, to the Lord, Lord, if you don't go, I don't want to go. And, and, and it's so true. If God isn't doing it, we don't want to do it. Uh, Pastor Chuck used to say, you know, if you have to strive or force to attain something, that you will have to strive to maintain it. If you have to strive and, and do all this stuff to get something happening, getting the plate spinning on, you know, you remember that? You see, you see that on TV, the plate spinning on the, on the sticks, right? You remember that? If you do, you're like wicked old. <laughs> it was on those variety shows, you know, they'd get the plate spinning. If you have to, you know, get it started, get it happening, know that you will also have to keep it happening. See, it doesn't depend on us. It depends on Him. Look at verse 5. It says, For even, even His own brothers did not believe in Him. They didn't even believe in Him. Family. I don't know. Looking at, looking at this whole exchange, it seems a little dysfunctional to me. You know, it makes me feel a little better. You know. What's going on with these people? But can you imagine this? To be that close to Jesus and not believe in Him? But there was a whole group of people that were close to Jesus. They were with Him in the flesh and, and they left. They wouldn't follow Him anymore. I don't know what it must have been like, though, growing up with Jesus. You know, that brother that just never does anything wrong. He doesn't lie. He doesn't, you know, steal. He doesn't cheat on his, you know, tests at school. I don't know about you, but I've done all those things, okay? But Jesus... They knew there was something about him. They, they could not know. They could not not know that there was something about him. But they didn't believe in him. I'll, I'll tell you now that later, after the cross and the resurrection, it says that they did believe in him. They did believe in him. You can read about that in the book of Acts. Mark chapter 6, verse 4 and 5 say this. The follow-on from that passage we read earlier, Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, 
and in his own house as a prophet without honor. And he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. His own hometown, his own family, they just couldn't see it. They couldn't, they couldn't go there. I, I've seen it in my own family where, uh, you know, family members, you know, just mock me and say all kinds of stupid things to me. And then another family member, another brother say, you know what, you got something in your life and, and I... Whatever it is that you have, I want it. Seeing both of those kinds of things happening. But here, notice this, that being related to Jesus, being close to somebody, you know, physically related, it didn't save them. It wasn't going to get them to heaven. And it's true in a family as well, just because maybe your parents are believers or just because, you know, your child or, or a brother or some, you know, related family member is a believer in Jesus Christ and they know they're going to heaven, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to go. Each one of us has to make up our own mind for ourselves. And, and I know with kids and, you know, that, that they have, you know, there's a, there's a time when they're kind of, they're kind of, you know, there with us with, on our faith and, and, and when they're very, very young. But there comes a point in time where they have to make up their own mind and make a decision for themselves. Every one of us has to make that decision for ourselves. Am I in? Am I going to follow Jesus or not? That's why Jesus said, you know, someone said to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They want to speak to you. And he said, he said this, who is my mother and my, who are my brothers? And he pointed to his disciples and he said, here are my mother, my brothers, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my bro brother and sister and mother. It's not being related physically, it's, it's surrendering to, to the almighty God. Let's finish up. I'm running out of time here. Back in John chapter 7. Jesus told them, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. I'm not yet going up to this feast because for me, the right time has not yet come. And having said this, he stayed in Galilee. However, verse 10 after his brothers had left for the feast, he went also. But not publicly, but in secret. Jesus told them, you know what? The right time for me has not yet come. The right time for what? Well, two things, really. The right time to go to the feast, to that festival. But as we'll see later in the, in the Gospel of John and in the other Gospels as well, the the. The, the time for the cross. There was a set time, there was a purpose, and it was all kind of going from, from really that moment in Bethlehem when he was born, and it was really, ultimately, it was all funneling down to this one period of time, this, this moment in time where he would die upon a cross for our sins. But what strikes me is that Jesus was 
on God's timetable and not man's. And I think that that should be an example for you and I as well, that, that we need to be keyed in what God's timing is, not man's timing. That's very, very important. You know, we say we want to follow God's will. But David Guzik said this, an important part of his will is his timing. He said that something may be in God's will, but not yet in his timing. And, and I think you and I need to know that. We pray about certain things and, and we want God's will, but we also need to wait for God's timing because, you know, until it's the right time. Jesus wasn't going to go to the festival. Jesus wasn't going to go to the cross. They, they wanted to try to kill him and he would just walk away from them. But when the time was right... Jesus would go to the cross. He says, you go to the feast. I'm not yet going because the time isn't right yet, but he would. God's ways are not our ways. Verse 7, or 6 and 7 of Psalm 75, he said, for, for promotion or lifting one up, comes neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge, and he puts down one and sets up another. See, God is the one that's going to do it. Again, if God doesn't do it, don't want it. If God is not putting it together, don't force it to happen. If it's not the time yet, wait. I don't, you know, who's patient here? None of us are, are, are all that patient. We don't, want, we don't like to wait, but we need to wait until he opens the door, until he puts it together. He would definitely go to Jerusalem. He would definitely go to the cross, but in his time, in his way. That verse again, one last time. Isaiah 55, he said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You've got to keep that in mind. I want to close again back in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Let's turn there. We'll close reading these verses because things are very, very different from God's perspective and ours. <clears throat> Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 31. He was teaching his disciples, it said. And he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. He knew it. He knew it from the beginning. The cross and the resurrection. Verse 32, but they did not understand what he meant, and they were afraid to ask him about it. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. Verse 33, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way, they had argued about what? 
who was the greatest. That's what they're arguing about. Which, which one of us apostles is the greatest apostle? You can just picture that. But again, Jesus had a whole different perspective, a whole different plan, a whole different purpose. And I think you and I need to pay attention to this. It says he, he sat down and he called the 12 and he said this, If anyone wants to be first, he must be what? The very last and the servant of all. You want to know how to get ahead in the world? Depends on, you know, what you really want. You want to get ahead in the world's ways or you want to get ahead in the ways of the Lord, what Jesus wants. And it's very different from the world, isn't it? If you want to be first, you must be the last and the servant of all. The world has a completely opposite program. If you want to be first, be the very last and the servant of all. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. Let's pray together, shall we? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And, and though it is hard-hitting, it does hit home to us that we have bought in. We bought into the ways of the world in so many ways and and. and just in our lives and just pushing ourselves forward and making a name for ourselves. And, and yet when we do that, we, we're not making a name for you. And so, Lord, we, we stop. We just want to take a moment and surrender and say, God, we, we're sorry. And we want to follow your ways, your ways, your thoughts. Because they're so much higher, so much greater, so much better than our ways and our thoughts. Show us, Lord. Teach us, Lord. Forgive us for wanting to help you. When you are the Lord, the, the creator of the universe, and you really don't need our help. You're perfectly capable and able. And you are faithful, so we celebrate that today. Father, I want to pray here this morning as well for any that may need you in their lives and, and they're searching and they're, they're looking for the truth. And the only truth is found in your Son, Jesus Christ, and surrendering and giving our lives completely and totally to him knowing that there is no other way, no other hope. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. So if it's you, go ahead and, and make this day a special day and that you could celebrate now on June 1st that you gave your life to Jesus Christ. You said, yes, Jesus, please come into my heart. Come into my life. Save me. Rescue me today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and sing together, shall we?